Welcome to Leap Into Your Story podcast, where you discover your inner story, break down the process, and meet others who've done it so you can leap into your own story. We interview amazing guests who provide powerful insights that inspire you to get your story told. Be sure to visit our website at leapintoyourstory.com and while you're there, subscribe and like us via your favorite social media network. Now sit back, get ready to take some notes, and let's get started. This episode of Leap Into Your Story podcast is brought to you by Leap Into Your Story course. Visit leapintoyourstory.com where you have a guide to get your story told. I'm Victoria Anderson and welcome to Leap Into Your Story podcast where you discover your inner story, work through the process, and meet others who've done it already. Uh, We interview amazing guests who provide powerful insights that will inspire you to leap into your own story. So we uh, certainly hope you'll visit our website at leapintoyourstory.com. And while you're there, like and subscribe to your VIA social media network platform. This episode, we are going to find out about writing, writer, rebranding. And my guest's book, Hopscotch Life. So my guest today is Chris Neri. So welcome and thank you so much for joining us today. She is an award-winning author. She's also an educator and teaches writing classes through UCLA's Extension Program, as well as an entrepreneur. So she's owned a bookstore with her husband for a decade in Sedona, Arizona, and now currently resides in Silver City, New Mexico. So Chris, welcome. And again, thanks for coming on the show. So let us know a little bit more about yourself and, of course, your writing journey. Oh, let's see. Um, Well, I love humor. I write a lot of humor, So, but it comes from my life. Um, I've lived in a number of places, mostly Southern California, but also Sedona, Arizona, the Vatican City of the New Age. And uh, now I live in New Mexico, love the Southwest, lots of sun. And um, I just, uh, I love writing. I love working with writers. I really love teaching. Um, I probably need to find some interests that don't relate to books because this is really starting to get a little too single-minded. But um, I, I, I like the path I'm on. Awesome. I'm and we're glad that you're hyper focused in the writing area. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, that's not such that. a bad thing. I think a lot of uh, writers would like to move into that mindset. <laughs> For sure. I know I'm one of them. <laughs> but uh, Chris, let's talk about a uh, hopscotch life where you're talking about this writing or writer rebranding. We know that, you know, when you have a a good genre where people know you, it's kind of risky to migrate and try something new as a writing or an artist. I know I've done that myself. 
So tell us a little bit about that and your book, The Hopscotch Life. Okay, well, it's the cover. You can see this is my reading copy because it's got all my little reading spots marked. Um, Hopscotch Life features a very quirky, unusual character with the original name of Plum Tardy. And Plum is uh, a definitely a quirky person. She's convinced that other people all got a rule book in life and she did not. And so she sees the world through her own filter and does things her own way. And yet she really, really wants to be just like other people, more conventional people. She's convinced they're right, she's wrong, and that's what she's trying to be. So in this book, it's like she's living in a country song because she initially loses her job through no fault of her own, uh, finds out her fiance has been cheating on her romantically and financially, and she has lost her house. So okay. she wants to go to a new town, start a new life, find a new guy, get a new job. But of course, because she doesn't accept herself, she keeps making the same mistakes and they fall, trouble follows her there. And she thinks that her fault is that she's living this hopscotch life of one jumping from one thing to another, which of course she does when her life falls apart. But um, she has to come to see that it's that's really her greatest strength and that's what will save her. So it is really a novel about self-acceptance, about um, just loving the person you are and just accepting yourself in all your glory. So it, it really is the novel of my heart. I have been published. I've had 10 books published and uh, this one is kind of special to me. Okay. It's a little bit but, off your beating path, correct? From your other series. It definitely is because I started writing mysteries. Then I went to paranormal and this is my first general fiction. And about the rebranding, I think it goes back, you have to consider it right from the conception of your novel. And if you have a category A, you take a little bit of that and you transfer it to category B. And then maybe in category C, maybe both of them, maybe just one of them. Um, for instance, in Hopscotch Life, I started out writing mysteries. I did not want to put a mystery in. I didn't want to make this a mystery. I wanted it to be a decided um, personal growth, general fiction novel, because I really like reading those. And, but I did put a little bit of a crime in it. Um, and it doesn't even have to be a crime. It could be some kind of puzzle that would have to come out in the climax. Um, in this case, it's this small little crime when Plum's life falls apart um, and she found out that her fiance had forged her name on a loan document and stole the equity in their jointly owned house. Mm. Um, she comes across a bag that matches his luggage in which she knows is his and it's filled with cash. And she's so devastated at that moment, she takes it and leaves with it, totally convinced that that is the money he took from her. And so it's not a crime in the sense I wanted to make sure the reader didn't think of her as a dishonest person, but um, someone who made that choice in an awful moment in her life. But it's small. 
but it will weave through the entire book and it comes to fruition at the most critical turning point in the book when um, she, of course, makes the biggest hopscotch move in her life. And um, uh, so when you do that with choosing these elements from category A into category B into category C, whatever, um, when you go to market it, depending on who you are talking to, what cluster of readers, you can use the terms that we've kind of groomed readers to understand. So to mystery readers, I would use the terms that mystery readers tend to understand. Um, there's no paranormal in this, so that was not applicable. Um, but to general fiction readers, I use the terms that they understand. And a lot of it you can get out of the reviews you get. Reviewers, see what reviewers highlight as important to them, because it's not going to be the same with each one. And um, use the kind of language that they use to describe it, depending on which camp the reviewer is from. So it's not fake branding. It's not saying anything that's not there. But novels are incredibly complex anyway, and you can always draw some threads in this description, some threads in that description. And it is a way of not just appealing to multiple groups of readers, but expanding their interest too. Because today, um, I think while there are still mystery readers who read very narrowly, most will read paranormal today too. They may not be classic fantasy readers, but the combination of some level of mystery and lots of fantasy appeals to most of them. And so that is a broadening that they have done on their own, most likely. So it's, it is tricky, but it's also fun to have different kinds of characters tap you on the shoulder and say, write my story in a different way. And it's, it's just, I just like expanding my own skills and learning new ones and getting to write in a new environment. It's, it's fun. It's, it's why I write is because writing is fun. Right. Well, it's true. I mean, if your character starts out one way and then they grow, you're not going to have the same perceptions, feelings, and ideology as you grow sometimes. Right. So you have to expand that character as they evolve. But that's a great tip. So what you said about the getting some verbiage from the reviews and maybe mirroring them in the books to connect uh, certain uh, areas of interest to readers who are looking to read that. That's a very, that's, a, I've never heard that before. So that's a great tip. Thank you. But I do think readers themselves are more adventurous today. Mm -hmm. um, They're more they, sophisticated. They want yeah. more. Yeah, yeah, they do. And so that's lucky for us. Yes. Well, yeah, because who I like a good challenge. I want to, you know, keep keep myself interested. As a matter of fact, my uh, last interview, we were talking about um, letting go of things are wrong. And when you're bored with your own writing, you're bored with your own character. You got a problem. 
Yeah, oh, absolutely. And you can so, tell when you're reading, you can yes. tell that they were bored. Mm. Um, yeah. Well, that's the key then. Do something different. Do something different, even if it means rebranding, re going off-roading into something you never ventured in, just to keep yourself uh, surprised on yeah. top of it. Mm -hmm. Right. And very fresh and new. Yes. It, it does. It, it excites you when you're learning something new. Yes, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. So let's talk about um, maybe some, because since you've done writing classes, let's talk about what, what maybe some writers should be doing and what maybe they should not be doing in your opinion. What are, what are your, through your experience, uh, what are some of your tips on both of those areas? Um, one, I would say, is not so much a writing tip as a personal one. I see so many new writers who are so perfectionistic, and they're, they really struggle with that. I understand. I have two. We want to put our best work forward, of course. Um, but how, when you're learning something brand new, can it be perfect? Whatever perfection is, I don't happen to think it exists anyway. But um, when you're new, even when you're not new, when you're writing a first draft, you really need to just let it go and not try to hold the material as tightly. Um, save the perfection for that last uh, final polish when you're checking the little nitpicky aspects. But you really have to let go of the perfectionism. And I find that new writers, of course, struggle with it. Um, another area I would say is in the area of backstory. Once, um, when I was a brand new writer, I saw an acquisition editor at a conference said she always knew when she was reading the novel of a first time writer. And that's because they started at 20 pages before they should. And new writers tend to think that I have to tell the reader everything about the history between these characters, um, or they won't understand it. Um, the cliche about backstory is that it should be dropped through the book as like a trail of breadcrumbs, um, luring the reader on by it. And in some categories, it, it makes for an absolute disaster. In mysteries, for instance, the crime almost always is in the backstory. It, its roots are in the backstory. It's it's the breakdown of a relationship between a victim and a villain. And um, and of course, you don't want that to be seen by the reader. But if you share all that information up front, it, you've made a totally transparent mystery, which nobody wants. Um, and in other categories, it still is disastrous because it's usually it brings out something that you want to have a really strong impact in the climax and you've sapped all that up front. So that is one, I, I have to say, sometimes it's really hard getting through to people. Um, I tell them, go ahead, write the 20 pages, the extra 20 pages before, and then scrap them. If you need to do that for yourself, fine, but start it closer to something happening because 
readers today have kind of short attention spans. We want to jump in and have it take hold of us right away. Um, yeah, uh, all I I don't understand. And, you know, we see that in movies and TV. We're constantly being groomed as storytellers to start fast. Yes. And yet a yes. lot of people have Le trouble with that. Really? And pardon me, but leaping into the story. <laughs> oh, yes. And I didn't even consider that setup. Yes. Leaping into the story. story. <laughs> <laughs> All right, shameless plug right in the middle of it, but yes. But oh, hey, you couldn't uh, pass that one. <laughs> but yeah, really, that's that's where I kind of got the idea is just leap into it. Don't just stop listening to the noise and just get it done. Yeah, get it done. You know, good, bad, indifferent doesn't matter because no great novel or book ever started out wonderful. No, it no, didn't. It's all crap. Yep. <laughs> I mean, my first book, Touched, had 500 pages. I whittled that thing down to 300. So 200 pages went bye-bye, um, partly because I actually had um, a contract with a publisher, and they were like, take the first 80 pages out. No, just keep going. Keep going. And I, finally, I got this book done and then the publisher went belly up so <laughs> I says well I'm gonna take that information that I had gotten from their editor and you know tweak it here tweak it there and understanding the better flow of the novel and saying again that was one of the things that they had said is too much backstory the first 80 pages was too much backstory we don't need it just start it right here right in the middle of the crisis, pretty much. It's understandable that because that's how our minds work and we need to understand all that, but the reader doesn't need to. In fact, the reader's experience is better without it, but it's okay if you have to write it to get to that point, but don't you just don't want to put it out that way. Right. I have a friend, um, Erlene Fowler, who is a mystery author and general fiction writer, and um, she says everyone's first draft is puke green dreck. <laughs> and I think that's pretty oh. well. If you're not, yes. if it's not, you know, you're probably tightening them, holding the material too tightly. Yes. Yes. I always think of it as, you know, you have this big load of old clothes that you want to sort out and make a wardrobe and you know this doesn't need to be I don't need this this doesn't go with anything go away and just keep sorting until you have the nice assortment of what you need to address and put on for the readers so that's good yep <laughs> sorting laundry man <laughs> which never seems to end in this household but <laughs> probably why that analogy came up <laughs> well let's talk about maybe tying into the need for perfectionism and rebranding should writers wait until they're established in a certain genre or you think it's okay for them to just explore different books without building anything I mean there's Probably pros and cons to that too, because 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see it both ways. Um, certainly from the marketing standpoint, it's probably better to establish yourself in one and then establish yourself in something else. Um, but today, you know, things are pretty chaotic. Like what you just said, publishers do go out of business. Editors leave and projects are just abandoned. Mm-hmm. So for me, of course, admittedly, I'm a person that takes crazy risks sometimes. And um, I live the title. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, not not to the insane degree as the character, but I do. And uh, to me, if I if a story comes to me and it's just I'm so ex- if I'm so excited about something, I don't want to just I can't put it aside because someday may never happen, and someday I might not have that same enthusiasm for it. Um, and I might be missing a wonderful opportunity to share a journey with some great characters and that other reader that readers might enjoy. So for me, I would, I would just do it when it comes, but you know, those are the kind of choices. We have multiple kinds of people in this world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've asked other authors about if that, you know, there's a lot of their selves in the character but I'm going to ask you a different question do you ever get jealous of your lives of your characters you wish you could be living those (laughs) um no you know I never have because I probably feel like I do live it along with them Mm -hmm. and I can do it from the comfort of a chair um curious because you're talking I mean like the hopscotch life character I mean uh, thinking about just picking up a whole bunch of money and taking off (laughs) I I did have to wrestle with that one for a long time because I don't really write about myself I take a piece of myself and I change it I expand on it I look at what if X, Y, Z, whatever. Um, In the case of Plum, the protagonist of Hopscotch Life, she's had a very different life from me, which, again, made me get to be able... I actually just thought, yes, I did envy her her mother. I did envy her her mother. Um, I knew something was there. (laughs) Who she loves, but is also the problem in her life. It's her mother is her ongoing problem. And I thought, wow, I would have loved to have had her mother. Um, yeah, so that's the closest I've come to probably envying. Mostly, I'm just so grateful that they let me live their lives with them. And, and I do, I am a person who, um, I seem to attract these characters that are quirky or offbeat. Um, that just see the world differently to some degree. I do too, probably to a lesser degree. Um, and I just love the places they take me because they take me places. I probably would never go to without them. So I think, uh, I kind of just like riding along with them. <laughs> no, that's not to say I haven't done enough crazy stuff in my own life but um well I get to live mine and I get to live theirs there you go so well let's talk about the entrepreneurial 
part of your journey and owning a bookstore. So, I mean, is that a dream job? I mean, did you, what, what did you find out about owning a bookstore that maybe helped you on your writing journey? Well, it definitely has helped me in multiple ways. Um, It is such hard work. I can't begin to explain how hard it is. But yes, we used to have um, author appearances every Friday night and Saturday afternoon. So I had a lot of authors I knew and new ones and uh, came to us and loads of them kept saying, this is my dream job. Oh, you're living my dream. Um, But that's because they think bookstore owners or employees just sit around reading all the time. And boy, is this a great job that you get paid just to sit and read. Um, You do have to read a lot. Sometimes things you don't even care for because you have to know what it's about. And uh, But no, there's so much that has to be done all the time. It's a very, very hard job. And um, I do have to say, though, nothing has taught me as much about the book business. I was already a published author. And suddenly I had this epiphany one day that, you know, everyone says, if you get rejected by a publisher, it's not personal. Once I was in the business, I realized the degree to which it is a business. And of course, they want to put to put out the best products they can. Um, everyone does who creates something. Everyone wants to put out the best product they can. But it is a product. Books are commodities. And once I grasped that, I thought, okay, I get it. It's not personal. It's what they think they can sell. And um, so that was great. Uh, Meeting with reps, that was great. Um, Meeting tons of authors, I really do know so many. Um, Every writer, we used to have, because there were so many writers in our town, we used to have fiction authors do writing workshops when they came to present their books. There's not a single person I didn't learn something from. Um, Sometimes it was even something I should have known or I did know, but I wasn't concentrating on at that particular time. And it, I had so many little epiphanies that that was wonderful. Um, And, well, of course, I also used to present a lot of writing workshops myself. And so that really did bring me in a lot of readers. So there were great advantages, um, but it is a, a job you do all the time. And if writers think that if you are if you own or work in a bookstore, that you will not have the same struggle between writing, finding time to write, and your day job, it's probably even harder. I learned to write in small segments of time. I do have to say that was a tremendous gift too. Um, And to do so much more in my head all the time, often at night when I'm supposed to be sleeping, but you know, still writing it in my head so that I could sit down and really knock it out very fast because I had been working on it a lot of time. I didn't spend all that extra time sitting in front of the computer, staring at the page, 
waiting for something to happen because I really had to make it happen before that. And, and it had to come out very fast. So there've been a lot of gifts, but they were hard fought for gifts. (laughs) (laughs) I, I can totally relate all my three books uh, all of them were in between jobs. So, and for me, sitting down and time blocking just created what writer's block. <laughs> and the, there's something about, especially doing a job I didn't like that actually just made things. And I would have to keep a notebook and the, the dislike of the job created like a just a volume of it coming out at once but for me to time block sit there with my little cup of coffee I'm going to write out some pages yeah that doesn't work (laughs) doesn't there's always got to be in my my brain I'll right now I'm writing three different books at the same time Um, so for me, if I get stuck on one book, I go to one of the other books. So I don't have to work a job that I dislike. Mm-hmm. I could just, I've learned to train myself that it's not about something, it's just occupying my brain with a different kind of thought stream. So I have a fiction book, I have a nonfiction book, I have an instructional book. So they're all working different parts. So when I get Stuck in my fiction, I'll try the nonfiction. If the nonfiction gets stuck and I don't feel like where my I have to deal with my character, I'll go play around in my instructional book. So that's where I'm at now. Super nuts, but <laughs> apparently I found my magic formula. So <laughs> I imagine it helps that they're not all fiction. Because yes, I have done. I have written multiple books at the same time, but only and fiction books, but when they're at different stages. For instance, one, I'm writing the first draft. One, I've already done the second draft and I'm, you know, more or less finished. Um, Sometimes I've done novels and stories at the same time. But I would imagine that nonfiction, in a way, it's, it's like a palate cleanser. Yes, definitely. Now, um, uh, talking about publishers and looking at, at it as a business, and I know just my little bit with my publisher, and also I'm an artist, so I've had my works in galleries and museums too, is people have to realize, don't take it personally. They are looking at your work as something to put on a shelf for, for profit. And when you, whether you're, that's why they want a part portfolio because they want you to have multiple items of the same, whatever, because they want to be sure that you're going to be able, when, when they pick something, they want to be sure that there's multiple versions of it to keep that money chain going, whether it's writing or, or, you know, artwork, it's the same kind of um, you know, established what they need to make money. In writing, I mean, we would probably call it a voice. It's mm-hmm. not exactly the same in art, but it's similar. There's a metaphor there with voice, I think. Um, mm-hmm. 
And yeah, they need, you're right. They're, they're putting things on a shelf. They're selling it. Um, I have at times edited uh, because there's one publisher that hires me to edit their stuff. I don't acquire anything. Um, I just edit what's been chosen. And sometimes I can just tell that someone has written a novel about their lives. And that's what I always think. Where do you go from here? Right. Do you have another life that right. you've lived and you can then do it? Because this is the way you're going to write instead of creating, maybe taking a spark from your life, but creating new things. Um, because it's only when you do create new stories that you can go on and continue to create new stories. Right. Um, yeah. And my three books are memoirs and the publisher, one of the things that I got the feedback from them as well as some readers is it, it flows like a fiction story. And some of the crazy paranormal uh, is almost, uh, that's one of the, uh, key phrases is, you know, life can be more stranger than fiction, <laughs> you know, when you're in my skin, oh, yeah. but, <laughs> but that was one of the feedback that the, and then when they found out that I had two more in the work, so the finished one, the, the second one has, had just been finished. It was very raw. Didn't even have a whole lot of editing. They took that one, signed me on and I gave them the synopsis for the third one. And they're like, yes. And then they went bye-bye after, you know, struggling because uh, there was a thought with e-publishers that paper was dead. They were Nobody was going to want paper, but somewhere in the middle of the height of e-publishing, there was a pivot for paper. Yeah. And they couldn't get that print on-demand software, which was in excess of a half a million dollars. I think the publisher that um, was working on it, they were able to negotiate to like find one for 250,000. But for a smaller publisher who was well, they they were small, but they were established. But you know, sometimes business pivots and it was just too much because... Yeah the ratio to authors was not gonna they'd have to renegotiate all those contracts because one of the positive or wins for e-publishing was the author used to keep more of the royalties than yeah. say a big publisher yeah but it was even though it didn't pan out the way I'd hoped it certainly was a great um, educational experience about publishing and pivoting and made me rethink things differently and so now when I do my books it's reshaped to make sure that even even non-fiction be mindful of the flow so mm -hmm. it's always engaged you know keep that reader engaged look for the right phrases and shortened sense sentences and make sure that it's all palatable for the reader which now I think in marketing they say that your attention span is something like eight seconds to get their attention yeah, yeah. <laughs> less than a goldfish which is at nine seconds I don't know who does these studies but from what yeah. I heard the last one is we've actually our attention span has 
has dropped a second shorter than a goldfish. So. <laughs> I have to say with, uh, I've been a lifelong reader and I have to say that when I am reading on my iPad, um, as opposed to a paper book, a paper book I tend to hold a little longer. I switch back and forth between solitaire, reading in solitaire. Um, I have a puzzle, pro, a jigsaw puzzle app on it and I do a little on the puzzle and and, I, and then I switch back to and and I keep thinking I'm that person that I used to think had too short an attention span and I have become that person um, it's less so with paper books because I think you're holding it you have to go through the process of putting it down and picking up something else um, but yeah I think we Life has just gotten too fast and we just have to deal with it. Art always reflects its people and that's who we are today. And uh, I wish I could say that that was the only time I've heard of presses going under, but I've heard of a lot of them. And um, it's sadly a very competitive field and it it is pricey for the publisher and and yet, of course, we have to be paid too. Um, right. And it's it's kind of sad how much how many have gone under. Uh, really, Amazon has made things. Um, and as a former bookseller, I don't always have all. I have mixed feelings, let's say, about Amazon. But um, their uh, do-it-yourself Kindle publication is. Um, has made things so much less expensive. They've made it possible um, for things that were not possible in the past. Exactly. I'm, I was surprised um, that you now can even have them do your book cover. You select the yeah. book cover, they do the font, they can do the, I, you, even with my, my original book, Touched, that was through CreateSpace because I decided that I didn't want to wait for, send out the query letters anymore and wait for that whole drawn out process. And that's where I decided to explore self-publishing and CreateSpace, which was bought out by Kindle. You still had to piecemeal it. You still had to um, get your cover and, and some of the other artwork if you wanted in there. but when I went back to self-publishing for the second book and create space was gone and now Kindle had taken over, I was really, really surprised at how much they upped their game to make it really a one-stop shop right. um, for authors. And that, that pretty much excited me because I was like, well, Let's get those other two books and let's start on the next three. <laughs> so being that there's something about momentum. And when you go through the traditional process, you, there's always that just that waiting. And you're almost relieved when you get rejected because it's least you could check that off and move on to something else. But, you know, instant gratification, eight seconds. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. If Kindle has fed into the eight sec. Of course, it takes a little bit more than eight seconds to load and, and get your book previewed and 
um, through their system, but certainly it is feeding into the eight second of eight um, instant gratification to load your book, pick out your cover and see it within days. Pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Yeah. That it, it, it's absolutely true. It's, it's part of the culture. Um, mm -hmm. Even the last year when we've all had to slow down there's still a strong element of that. Um, I think that we do need the gratification fact, maybe more so because we have to balance it out with this really sluggish pace that life has uh, come down to. Right. And even from some of the really high volume authors who will only do self-publishing, uh, they're one of the tips is they're like, well, you don't want to be, I have a terribly misspelled book, but they're almost advocating, don't worry about the mistakes. As long as your content, because there's a new ideology in self-publishing, your book's not going to ever be perfect. You might have an extra period at the end of something or, you know, spell check, you put the wrong R for R, you know, possessive versus A-R-E. -R and some of them just flat out says when you're self-publishing, there's an error, um, margin of error that's expected. But it shouldn't be sloppy. It should still have the nice format. Shouldn't have a lot of misspelled errors. But, you know, just make sure your content is solid. So what have you come across that, too, where I know you're an editor, but, you know, where... Is that something that um, we should consider or we should make extra cautions to continue to edit? Because I know I'm almost like a 12 stepper. I need to <laughs> step off that editing platform because I'm always trying to get the, the right structure, the right flow, make sure, you know, this word has a better impact in there. So what can you maybe talk I, a little bit about editing since you said that yeah. you do some editing? I have to say that I'm probably a little OCD that I can't <laughs> let those things go, but I have learned to put them off till later and not worry about um, when I'm writing it. I don't worry about whether the grammar is perfect or the spelling is perfect. Um, I really used to be a terrible speller and those little red lines have made me so much better. I'm so grateful for years and years of that. Um, I, I have a, when I'm, because I'm doing the eight second thing with myself, um, I am always leaving words out. And um, thankfully, I do have a writer's group that is really good at picking out. Well, you see other people's, you don't see yourself, you see, you don't see them in your own right. work because your brain just keeps filling those in. Exactly. Um, uh, I know there's no such thing as a perfect book, but I do like to have it really pretty clean. I've also found that there are people among your readers who will tell you the pickiest little mistakes. Um, they will write and tell you because they think you're waiting to hear that. Um, I really want to know, it's out there, it's okay. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I once had someone tell me that the only mistake in my book was rapping. And I you know, wrapping as like on the door versus wrapping a gift and I used the wrong one. Um, 
you know, how can you not notice something like that? But yes, of course, your brain just fixes everything. Um, and it doesn't always tell you it's fixing. And I, I'm actually convinced that gremlins sneak into your work at night after you close the computer lid down and um, they do it on their own. They just- I agree. <laughs> To me, I don't miss these things. <laughs> um, you know, I, I I think I want it to be very, very, very good. But there's a limit. You just simply, there's a beyond which you simply can't catch them anymore. Not yourself. Um, and it helps to have other people read. But they're not going to catch absolutely everything either. So I don't think it's absolutely possible to be perfect and and in my life I want to get away from this concept of perfection anyway it's um I had someone tell me perfect is the opposite of good um I want to be good yes I I like that that is a fantastic um way to look at that I I agree 100 percent well, Chris, is there anything else? Any you leave us with maybe three key tips to help beginners, uh, seasoned writers, maybe think about rebranding. What are some of the tips? Well, the tip on rebranding is the time to think about it is when you're writing, before you're writing, even um, to stage your next book in a way that you can pull along the readership of the prior one. So that would be my tip for rebranding. Um, on characters, let's say character creation, certainly it's okay to pull things from yourself. Of who else do we know as well as ourselves? Um, but there are certain questions I always want to answer. Um, I always look at what the character's deepest, deepest central core need is. What does someone need in their lives that is so fundamental um, that, that there would be some pathology developed if they could, if that need could not be met. And then of course, how do you not meet the need in the book so that the pathology does develop so that your character is working in a less than ideal environment. Um, I also, there's a line um, I once heard at a conference, um, a therapist said, most people do not give themselves unconditional approval. They live their lives as if they were, as, as if it were with this line, I'm good enough as long as I'm, and then fill in the blank. And I find if I can really fill that blank in well, and I understand that character, they're ready to write. Um, and then um, with just simply language, of course, we always tell people to show, not tell. And I have truly never met a writing student who could not show when told to, but then somehow would switch back to telling when they were writing their books. So I would keep that in mind um, that you want to show, but you also want a great variety in your language. You want 
variety in sentence length. You want variety in um, paragraph length. Think about how it's going to look on the page. Uh, when you're done, is it just one long paragraph after another? Um, because readers, again, because of the short attention span and the instant gratification, if it doesn't look visually appealing, we're not going to read it. We're going to skip over parts of it or just stop. Um, so I would say, think about how it's going to appear to your reader. So those are some tips. Those are great tips. I'm inspired. I'm <laughs> I'm uh, ready to rebrand. Actually, probably after these three books, I'll be rebranded in three years, <laughs> which I'm going to be taking some of these tips. These are great. Uh, well, Chris, it's been a pleasure uh, to be speaking with you and spending this time with you. And I wish you all the best. Uh, certainly. Uh, before we go, though, why don't we talk about where we can find out more about your books and what you have to offer? Okay, great. Um, my website is chrisneary.com. You can see all my books there. You can read excerpts. Um, you can read about writing classes, editing, other things I have available. Um, also blogs, I, I either write about, I blog about funny things in my life or I blog about writing and there's writing tips there. Um, Hopscotch Life and all my other books, of course, are available through most online sellers. And uh, of course, like everyone else, I have an Amazon page where you can read a little bit about me and read about um, my books. Awesome, awesome. Well, for that, go check out Chris's books. And now we wanna thank you for tuning into Leap Into Your Story Show, where you discover your inner story, work through the process, and meet others who've done it. So you can be guided to leaping into your own story. So remember to visit our website at leapintoyourstory.com so you can enjoy even more great episodes like this. Again, while you're there, like and subscribe via your favorite social media network. We're looking forward to seeing you next time here on Leap Into Your Story. Thank you for tuning into the Leap Into Your Story podcast where you discover your inner story, break down the process, and meet others who've done it so you can leap into your own story. Remember to visit our website at leapintoyourstory.com and enjoy even more great episodes like this one. Again, while you're there, subscribe and like to us via your favorite social media network. We're looking forward to seeing you next time on the Leap Into Your Story podcast.